Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Monday the 24th of October. I am Holly Wainwright and if you hear a little pitter-patter in the background today, it's the rain, which I'm sure is a very familiar sound to way too many of our listeners. I'm recording from home today and the rain is falling hard on the pod shed. So thoughts to everyone who's struggling with the rain out there. You're not alone. I'm Mia Friedman and I've got nothing to say. I'm in a quiet podcast studio all alone. And I'm Jessie Stevens. On the show today, Netball Australia, Gina Reinhardt and the argument over what can be excused for $15 million. Also, what life is like for Joe Alwyn, Taylor Swift's full-time muse. And celebrity breakups. When love is part of your public brand, what do you owe your audience when it falls apart? But first... Breaking news now, Boris Johnson has pulled out of the race to become the UK Prime Minister. This is just months after he passed that tarnished baton to Liz Truss. Please pull out the world's tiniest violin for one Boris Johnson who had to cut short his holiday in the Caribbean to come home to fix everything in British politics, only to be told, no thanks, we don't need your help. As we discussed on Friday, Liz Trust became Britain's shortest ever serving prime minister and now someone else needs to do that job. And Boris Johnson, who only just lost that job, decided it was him. So he came back from his holiday to get the numbers, but had to announce this morning that actually nobody agreed with him. And he did one of those excellent statements where he said, I probably would have won but I've decided it's not good for stability. I can't. That image that was of him arriving back in the UK, I think I could see his bum crack. (laughs) Like his pants were falling down, his shirt. And I mean, he can wear whatever he wants and looks however he wants. But if you're looking for someone to inspire confidence in a really, you know, seriously upsetting, disturbing, unstable situation, it's not him. The audacity of that man the confidence of Boris confidence. Johnson to reapply for a job he lost last month, one month ago. Mm. I mean, there was, you know, some legacy issues, but he created chaos, gave it to Liz Truss. She couldn't do it. And he's like, the man is back. I've got my bum crack out. I haven't brushed my hair. Allow me to fix it. And then to be like, look, I would have got it. In fact, I'm pretty sure that everyone would have voted for me, but maybe now isn't the time. Some men, that is just classic male behaviour. It really is. So it looks like the next British Prime Minister is going to be Rishi Sunak. He was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, so the Treasurer for a while. He's a pro-Brexit dude. He will be the first Prime Minister of colour. What happens when sports sponsorship and the personal values of the players collide? 
Well, before we get to this story, we want to say congratulations to the Diamonds netball team. They had a 57-53 win over New Zealand on the weekend to win the Constellation Cup. And Netball Australia really needed some good news on the weekend because the last few days and indeed the last few years have been really, really difficult. Like many sporting organisations and businesses, they were hit very hard by COVID and they're currently in fairly dire financial straits. The players are notoriously not very well paid, Australian netball players, compared to many, many other sports. The Players Association has been asking for an increase in payment to the players. But Netball Australia, I think in the last financial year, had something like a $7 million hole in their budget. And it seemed like a lifeline had been thrown to them by Gina Reinhart's mining company, Hancock Prospecting, who had committed to a $15 million sponsorship of Netball, which among other things involved the players wearing a Hancock Prospecting logo on their Netball uniforms, as sports players do have to wear the logos of their sponsors. But last week we learned that First Nations player Danelle Wallam had raised concerns about wearing the Hancock logo on her uniform, given the founder of the company once very famously voiced his plan for eliminating the problem, as he called it, of Indigenous people. In a 1984 TV interview, Lang Hancock, who is the father of Gina Reinhardt, who is the current boss of Hancock Prospecting, he suggested that a solution to Indigenous people would be to dope the water up so they were sterile and they would breed themselves out in future and that would solve the problem. So he's basically suggesting genocide. Now, it was widely reported that Danelle was uncomfortable with this, as many, many people would be. She found those comments to be very offensive. And she was simply asking for an exemption for herself. And she has every right to do that under the organization's Declaration of Commitment, which I went and looked at its annual report. And it reads, Nepal Australia champions its responsibility to provide a culturally safe environment for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players, coaches and officials to engage, lead and flourish. So she didn't expect anyone else to do the same thing. She wasn't calling for a boycott. But to her surprise, her teammates in the Diamonds said that if she was uncomfortable with the logo, they would join her in asking for an exemption and they wouldn't wear it either. Several meetings were then held last week where Indigenous people were brought in to speak to Danelle about how good the mining funding is and the positive impact that Hancock Prospecting has had on their lives in supporting other Indigenous organisations and sports. And then suggestions were reportedly made to the sponsor to resolve the issue, which included that maybe they might want to release a statement condemning Lang Hancock's racist and offensive remarks and reaffirming their commitment to inclusion and respect for Indigenous Australians. This was not accepted by the mining company. And they have since withdrawn sponsorship to Netball Australia, Netball WA and the West Coast Fever team. Although they are offering a four-month deal to allow Netball Australia and Netball West Australia time to secure new partners. They released a statement too. It said, Hancock and its executive chairman, Mrs. Reinhardt, consider that it is unnecessary for sports organisations to be used as the vehicle for social or political causes. There are more targeted and genuine ways to progress social or political causes without virtue signalling or for self-publicity. They are clearly not apologising for the remarks of the founder of their company and, in fact, doubling down, some would suggest, making it worse. 
Also last week, before I throw to you guys, I just wanted to add that the captain of Australia's men's cricket team, Pat Cummins, he came out and said he would no longer appear in advertising for their team sponsor, who is Alinta Energy, because its parent company is one of Australia's biggest emitters of carbon. And he said, I think the most obvious front of mind things you can see is who we partner with. So I hope that when we think of who we want to align with, who we want to invite into being part of cricket, I hope climate is a real priority. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but firstly, Jesse, some people are insisting that it's not fair to expect Gina Reinhart to have to apologise for comments that her father made 40 years ago. What do you think about that and what do you think Netball Australia should do now? Her father's name is literally in the brand name that was going to be printed on the shirts these netballers wore. Gina Reinhart has essentially thrown a tantrum. The more I read about it, the grumpier I am with Gina Reinhart. She not only wanted those players to wear the jerseys, she demanded that they did it with pride and with their mouths shut. And this is very different to the pride jersey debate, I think, for a number of reasons, because the women did this really carefully. They did everything right. And you know why they did everything right? Because they know how funding works. And Pat Cummins I love Pat Cummins. I think he does a brilliant job and good on him for making that stand. Female athletes know that nine times out of 10, they can't make that stand because there are not other sponsors lining up. Mm. So what this netballer did was really think about it, give the opportunity in private. They didn't post anything anywhere. It wasn't all public. Privately say, all you have to do is say, I don't agree that Aboriginal people should be sterilized or whatever it is. And they refused. That makes me so, so grumpy. It would have been such an easy solution for that company to action. So devil's advocate, Jesse, they're saying, well, we're trying to give $15 million to a sport that really needs it. And our money is going to help pay for increased wages for the players and do all of these good things. Why are we now having to suddenly defend ourselves from accusations and suddenly the whole idea of a sponsorship, right, is to get good publicity and have a positive yep. association. So devil's advocate, they're saying, we're just trying to give you money. You're not just trying to give us money. It's a two-way deal. You're trying to get good branding. So this thing of brands and people who are putting their logos on jerseys pretending as though this is philanthropic, no, it's not. It's an exchange. It's because putting your brand on my jersey as a female athlete is good for your brand. And I am asking in exchange that you disavow these incredibly racist comments that make me uncomfortable. Mm. I think the integrity of that team mm. to have all those women come together, you know, there's a lot that's been said about the rise of the brand of the player and how that's complicated sponsorship because they're going, me as an individual, I don't want to wear this. This is actually a story about a team that stood in solidarity with one woman who said, hey, this actually makes me uncomfortable. And they went, you know what, I might not be Indigenous, but it makes me uncomfortable too. Exactly, Jesse. because as you've spelled out in your intro, Mia, there's a lot of column inches today and over the weekend, kind of implying a wokeness gone crazy element to this story. We're not talking about some kind of pre-woke slip of the tongue that, you know, oh, you used to be able to say that stuff back in the 80s. You're talking about abhorrent calls for genocide on First Nations people. And the thing is, is we're going to keep running into this problem because lots of sporting codes and lots of different brands 
They want diversity. They want to be able to claim it. They want to say that they're supporting First Nations people and First Nations sports people. But then when the First Nations sports people are offering their opinions and their view of history and saying, hey, you know, we're whitewashing this company by saying that they're fine and they're sponsoring us, but what about this absolutely abhorrent view that they're refusing to distance themselves from? You can't then just turn around and say, shush, we don't approve of that opinion. We just want you to be there for the posters. You know, you can't do that. So I feel very strongly that although this is a very complicated issue because there are always ethical problems on different levels and different scales on a spectrum with any corporate sponsorship. And you can often pick holes in almost any brand. And it's something that every organization that deals with sponsorship has to do. There is nothing small about what Gina Reinhart is refusing to step away from. And I think that this is an opportunity for a lot of brands who could step in and offer Netball Australia Lifeline on this and make themselves look good. It's also worth acknowledging that Wallum, when she received all of that information, understood the pressure from the club and understood the economics, you know, better than most, she actually said, I'll wear the jersey. That was her Mm. final decision. In a lot of reporting, we're not getting that. And so it is being kind of written as though it was some kind of boycott and it wasn't. And I just, that is the person I feel most sorry for in all of this because- It's as though she cost the team $15 million. She didn't. She really didn't. She also has not spoken on the record about it, and yet she is the target of absolutely disgusting racism all over the internet right now. I think the accusations that she was virtue signalling or doing it for self-publicity by Hancock prospecting are abhorrent, and I think that is making a situation that must already be appalling for Danelle even worse. But I want to take the issue a little bit more broad and say, so we've now seen that individuals want their workplaces to embody their social and cultural values. We've seen it with the Pride Round. We've seen it with Black Lives Matter. What happens when you have individuals who don't agree with the corporate line, whether it's sponsorship of alcohol companies, tobacco you can't anymore, but maybe it's gambling, maybe it's a beauty company that does animal testing, maybe it's a mining company and you don't agree with that, maybe it's someone who has affiliations with something else or is part owner of another business that you don't agree with. If you are trying to run a business, and Netball Australia and all these sporting codes are businesses, right? Like we like to think sometimes that sport is just, you know, you get out there and play, but players have to be paid. There's a whole infrastructure required around these sporting codes. What do they do? What happens now? In fact, this is quite a good example. And this is something that a lot of people who work with brands would know, and a lot of brands are actually incredibly receptive to. We've had issues, you know, years ago where we would be sponsored by a brand that got into some hot water and we would have really difficult conversations about whether or not we were comfortable aligning with them. And often they're very, very receptive to that and they understand. And I don't like the idea that just because you're a billionaire with bottomless pockets, We can't criticize you because otherwise you're going to pull the money out. You're going to pull the lifeline out. It's manipulative. That's why I want to take it away from Gina Reinhart because I'm saying if you're trying to run a business, so say, for example, the Today Show, the weather person on the Today Show doesn't want to be on the show because sometimes they run ads for a betting company. 
So he says, well, I'm not going to come on the show if there are ads for a betting company. Someone else on the Today Show, the sports reporter says, well, I don't drink, so if there's alcohol advertising, I'm not prepared to be associated with alcohol advertising. They're all very understandable points of view, like for sure. But what then happens to trying to run a business? But don't you think that everybody sets their own moral compass in that way and that those individuals have every right to say those things and walk away from it if they want to? That's what I think. Like I think... I mean, I understand the point that you're making. No, no, but you've seen sponsorship deals work, right? So it's not like we're going to sponsor this sport and we'd like some of the players if they feel comfortable to wear our logo on the jerseys and, you know, if they don't mind being photographed after the game with the logo behind them, that'd be great. Like it's all written into very detailed contracts. Of course, but that's what I mean. And I think that that's what sports people also understand and presenters on the Today Show also understand and you have to make your own peace with it. So can I present that brand? Am I comfortable doing that? Or do I have to be completely silent? And then you make your own decisions about it. And that is what we're seeing in this instance, except with the complication of the fact that Danelle isn't actually saying this publicly. She was trying to deal with it very professionally behind the scenes. But I think that people absolutely have a right to decide what logos they do and don't want to stand next to. It might cost them their job. That's the reality. I think that we are at a crossroads where we're constantly wearing our identity as a cloak. And I think that metaphor actually works because I think this is just the beginning of the Jersey sports advertising Mm. debate that is going around because of, A, the rise of the individual player as a star. Pat Cummins has talked about how in cricket, for example, there are some players who are Muslim and it has been accepted that they won't wear alcohol brands on their jersey, doesn't align with them. And then that's that's been all negotiated and, and sorted out. But the second thing is that it's not only athletes, it's all of us. Our identity is our currency. It's it's all we've got. We are brands. The team isn't a brand. We as individuals are brands. And that is shifting beneath our feet. So I think that this is just the beginning. I mean, what can you do? Can you, is it going to move towards, you know, sponsoring individual players rather than an entire team? Well, that already does happen, right? Lots of individual players have their own sponsorship deals that then have to be negotiated in partnership with the team sponsorship deals and then the league. I mean, it's a very complex corporate structure already that you're now layering identity into. There's no question it's difficult. Hull, I remember you said when it was the NRL team and a number of the players didn't want to wear the rainbow jersey because they said that supporting inclusion and diversity in terms of the queer community went against their values. I remember you said, wear the jersey, wear the jersey. Or quit. So do you think the same thing for Danelle? Well, Danelle had already made her decision. She said, I don't want to wear the jersey. She went into lots of negotiations about it. And then she obviously made a decision, okay, I will wear the jersey. But at that point, the option just got taken away from her. It's the same principle is that I think those guys should have absolutely worn the jersey or quit. You've got to stand by your own principles. You're absolutely right that it's thorny when those principles are ones you don't respect so much. You do your negotiations and you take your stands that you need to take. Mama Mia out loud! Move by Mama Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia! subscribers get unlimited access to Move, 
and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. On Friday, Taylor Swift released her brand new album, Midnight's. Less than 24 hours later, Spotify announced that the album had amassed the most streams in a single day of any album in Spotify's history. And that was just on my phone. Exactly. It's full of Easter eggs and theories and honestly, it is overwhelming. We are not going to go into all of them here, although I'm sure that will happen in the future. There are many nods to Taylor Swift's relationship with Joe Alwyn, who is an actor she has been with for about five years You might know him from Conversations with Friends, The Favourite. He's been in a bunch of television. Most recently, that Lena Dunham one, right, Mia? Yes, Catherine Corberti. He played the hot uncle. And that leads me to my favourite take of all the takes, which has come from a newsletter you sent me, Mia, by Hunter Harris. And she writes, One thing about me, I love a man with a job. Joe Alwyn has been not super good at acting because acting is a side project. His occupation is muse. That's his calling. That's his vocation. Joe Alwyn didn't get a stimulus check. Joe Alwyn was the stimulus check. When Joe Alwyn's accountant does his taxes, he writes, source of artistic inspiration and okay, sometimes an actor. In December 2019, he did an interview with the Sunday Times where he actually acknowledged that. He said he enjoys being Taylor Swift's muse, very proud of it, and he can often be seen cheering her on. I love this because historically a muse is female, a source of inspiration for a male creative. I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Jazz. Right. But I love the idea that Joe's job is to get out of bed, be Joe, kind of have the Joe vibe, hang out, say a few things, look nice, and go to bed. And that's really his overall purpose. I brought it up with my partner and um, I asked if he might want to be a muse and he said that sounded quite good. (laughs) Mia, how can Taylor Swift fans begin to thank Joe Alwyn for his service? Yeah, because he co-wrote some of the songs on her last couple of albums they're not the best ones. Betty, I won't make assumptions about why you switched your homeroom, but I think it's because of me. I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like the ending. You're not my homeland anymore. But the ones that are about him are banging. They're some of my favourites. All of this silence and patience pining and anticipation. My hands are shaking from holding back from you They say home is where the heart is But that's not where mine lives You know I love a London boy I've watched him in a couple of films And he's one of those people who is incredibly good looking But then in film the director just can't seem to capture their charisma But he seems like he'd be a really nice guy but there's just something a bit missing. So I think there's a passivity to a muse when you think about the muses of artists. There's something very patronising about this conversation, my friends. There's something very patronising about it because I don't understand what you're talking about because I may be the only person on the planet who has not listened to Taylor Swift's new album and I 
barely know who Joe Alwyn is, but <laughs> he does have a job. Being an actor is actually quite a big job. You do a movie, you're away for three months, you've got a lot of work to do, shit's happening. But the thing is, is his girlfriend, his partner, has a bigger job. And when a woman has a bigger job than a man, we like to tilt our head and patronize that man and suggest that all he does is support her. When that seems a bit sexist to me, because I'm sure that Joe doesn't see his full-time job as being a muse. I'm sure he thinks he's an actor and he's jolly busy. Holly, allow us to have a fantasy because I actually Googled how to be a muse and there's a WikiHow page on it that has a whole lot of dot points that explains how to be a muse. And I realised halfway through that that's what I want in a romantic partner. I just want someone to inspire me. And this is what you do. So apparently a muse is someone who engages the artist on an intellectual level, spurring them to run with creative ideas that someone else wouldn't understand. To be a muse, you have to encourage the artist to explore more deeply rather than pulling back. No discussion should be off limits. Another job of the muse is that you've got to be sexual. So you've just got to be sexy all the time because apparently sexiness and having lots of sex inspires creativity, which is good for the flowing of the juices. So, Wait, do you have to have sex with your muse? Like do yeah, you have to put out if you're a muse? It pretty often happens. It doesn't always happen. There are lots of fashion designers have muses who I don't think they're having sex with. True, but they find something like so magnetic about them. The best examples I found were Edie Sedgwick, the muse of Andy Warhol, and Yoko Ono and John Lennon were each other's muses, which is just a great situation. That's true, but also it's a little bit of a sad, slightly tragic role because the problem with being a muse is you rely on the eye of the artist remaining on you. And as soon as they moved on and are mused or amused by somebody else, you're kind of done for. You're defining your entire self in relation to someone else, which is always tricky either way. I do find the sort of conversation around Joe Alwyn to be a little bit patronising. So what you're saying is being amused should be your side hustle, not your main game, because it's not a very stable job prospect. A hundred percent. I hope that Joe's got a few projects lined up. Well, Joe and I really love (laughs) Mamma Mia out loud. What can I say? If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. Over the weekend, Sophie Keisha sadly announced that she'd called off her engagement to Madeline Garrick. Now, Sophie Keisha is a uh, friend of Mama Mia. She has been on No Filter Mia several times. She's talked a lot about her relationships over the years. She's been very honest and open about it, about the breakdown of her marriage, because Sophie was originally famous as that much maligned term, a mummy blogger in inverted commas, when she literally was an influencer called The Young Mummy. And she more successfully than many people translated that influencer career to something much, much bigger. Now, Sophie Keisha is a name that we all know. And that is in no small part to the fact that she has spoken the unspoken truth of lots and lots of women about relationships, parenthood, and particularly about also sexuality. Because after she left her husband, She's been in relationships with women and she's talked about that very openly on No Filter to a massive response because many people feel seen. So there was a lot of investment, it felt, from the 
public and from people in general about Sophie and Maddie's relationship. And that's not the only one. Another famous woman, particularly famous on the internet, Olivia Molly Rogers, who's a former Miss Universe Australia and a big influencer, announced recently that she and her husband, Justin McCune, had decided to separate after a relatively short time, just a few months after they had this massive wedding that was very followed in Victoria. And it got us thinking and asking about the fact that everybody's gossiping about these people. Everybody wants to know all the business. Everybody wants to rifle through their dirty laundry and inverted commas. We talk a lot here about celebrities and what the boundaries are of what you can and can't talk about. But when you yourself have put your personal life and your relationship very firmly in the spotlight in your brand, do you owe people anything when that relationship ends? It's really complicated. I think that, for example, the statement that Olivia Molly Rogers put out was really dignified. And I, I've thought a lot about her because her wedding was recently and it was quite public and it was incredibly aspirational, right? Like she looked stunning. It was in the most amazing location. And so when people want details, what they really want to know is that at that wedding when she was looking beautiful and it looked so romantic and so perfect that things weren't as they seemed. They want to know that it was always a lie. But of course that's not actually the case. Relationships can fall apart really quickly because things happen because there's bad behavior on both sides or or one side. And I keep thinking what enormous restraint it must take to not badmouth the other side. Because when you've married someone or been with someone for a really long time, it's not just them you're protecting, you're protecting their family and their friends and lots of people involved. And you don't owe it to every single person who's followed your relationship to tell them the ins and outs of a breakdown. And I think this is the real dark side of parasocial relationships Mm. that people follow and follow during the good times. And then they think, well, you're about authenticity. So why aren't you going to tell me this? And it's like, because a breakup isn't one person's story to tell. It's two people's stories to tell. And it's uneven because one has more power on social than the other. And I just think how hard it must be. Like imagine the messages you're getting, imagine the calls you're getting to just share the whole story and through all of that you're also in enormous, enormous pain. Mia, what do you make of it? I really understand why people get angry at the people who won't give them the details. And I experienced this myself one of the original mummy bloggers like Sophie Keisha, who was really iconic globally. Her name was Heather Armstrong and she had a blog called Deuce. And she was one of the first women to really write about parenting honestly. So she had an enormous following. I loved it. She was such a great writer. I would read her writing every day and followed her life. And that was the first time I'd experienced that idea of what you referred to, Jesse, as a parasocial relationship, which is where you feel that you know someone that you don't actually know and they don't know you. And it's a feeling that all the people that follow them feel. And some outlouders have that about us because they listen to the show and they'll often say, if they meet us, they feel like I know you. But when Heather Armstrong, we were, when I say we were all, we were all heavily invested. She had a baby. She had postnatal depression. She had struggles with mental health. Then she had another baby. And then her marriage broke up and everyone wanted to know why. And she didn't want to say and he didn't want to say. And everyone was really, really pissed off. 
And her brand never recovered from that because it was this unspoken social contract. I will give you my time, which you can then monetize as an influencer or as a celebrity, and you will give me access to your life. And I think the problem with a breakup, as you say, Jesse, is that it happens in real time. Anytime I've had to write something really personal, and Sophie's done this as well. She's written about experiences that are really, really personal. She wrote a memoir that was very authentic. She's spoken in absolute great depth and vulnerability on No Filter when I've interviewed her twice about her marriage breakdown, about relationship breakdown. And I think that the only thing you can do is close the door. And I think that what we've got to remember is that when someone says no, they have every right to say no at whatever point they want. And they can say no today. And then they can talk about it in three weeks or three months or three years. I would discourage anyone from ever talking about anything distressing that's happening at the time because I don't think it's good for you and I don't think it's good for the people following you. They say you should write, if you're talking about writing in particular, from scars, not from open wounds. And it's very true, right? But I have to check myself in this situation because I often think when I see people declaring their love very publicly on social media, I often go, oh, are you sure? Are you sure, darling? Like I think that because it takes me back even to times where not in the social media sense, but when you've told everybody this person is my person and I love them so much and then it doesn't turn out like that and you feel like you have to go around to everybody and explain yourself and you feel foolish, which you shouldn't have to do. That's why I check myself because my initial instinct is like, oh, do you regret having said all those wonderful things about them or told everyone how happy you are? When actually, no, they shouldn't regret that because that was their reality right then and that was the happiness that they wanted to tell everybody about. And if you're living your life in a way where you're sharing it with people, then hopefully people understand that life is complicated and things change. And also just because a relationship ends, it doesn't mean it was fake. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. what people often think about yes. on social media. They're like, oh, I knew it was too good to be true. I knew they weren't telling us what was really going on. Whereas could any of us say that any of our relationships are absolutely perfect? You know, no, of course not. Yeah. And the embarrassment, I've had situations where I've started seeing someone, you know, years ago and would tell two or three people. And then when either I was dumped or I dumped them or there was a breakup, I was mortified to have to explain to them what happened. And that was three people, not 300,000. Yeah. And so I completely get that. And I do think that there's this sense that we're all watching this reality television show and then we're like, no, but where's the next episode? I've watched five episodes and you promised me six and where is my... And this isn't reality TV. This is people's real lives. While I understand the questions, I just think... Imagine that pain just being amplified by so many people leaning in and wanting to scrutinise your pain. And also making mistakes about it. Big love to the brokenhearted, I say. Mm. Yes. Mia, you have a a recommendation before we go. We may have already touched on it briefly as if it was going to be anything else. What are you recommending, Mia Friedman? Hey, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. That's my favourite lyric from the new Taylor Swift album. It's called Midnight's You're Both Looking at Me Blankly, which means you haven't listened to it on repeat like I have. I started a WhatsApp group with some of the crew from our tour, Talisha, Lucy, my daughter Coco. We've been ranking our set list, our track list from 
favourite to least, well, not least favourite, but least brilliant. So Taylor Swift has released an album. It's called Midnight's. I won't bore you both because you already look bored about all the details, but it's not like her last two albums, Folklore and Evermore, which were written during COVID and were very acoustic. It's a bit more upbeat, more poppy. What's interesting is that she dropped the album and then three hours later she dropped like five more songs, which I didn't learn for two days. Is that interesting? Yeah, fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) See, Mia, what you don't understand about basic bitches, and I'm just going to put a word in for basic bitches, is that what we do is we let tastemakers like you and like your people in your WhatsApp group, thank you for not inviting us, we let you listen, decide what the best songs are, and then in three weeks Mm. we'll be singing along to them. We take our time because we don't know what we're talking about. We just absorb the culture by osmosis. So thank you for your service. It's so good. Antihero is the single. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Go listen to that. Thank you for listening to Mama Mia Out Loud today, Out Louders. This episode is produced by Talissa Bazaz and Susanna Makin with audio production from Leah Porges. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. 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 Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.